Hello, everyone, and welcome to Spark My Muse. I'm your host, Lisa DeLay, and today is Soul School, Lesson 208, Praying with the Gospels, Tips from Thomas Merton. Today, I'm going to be reading from a tiny book that came out in 1960 and was reprinted again in 1987. It's called Spiritual Direction and Meditation. In the preface of the book, it talks about how this book was put together. The second half of this book, which is where I'm going to be reading from, is made up of notes on meditation that were written in 1951 as a kind of companion to Merton's book, What is Contemplation? They had been typed out and they were laid aside and forgotten. They were reprinted in this book with additions and corrections. The writer of the preface says, you cannot learn meditation from a book. You just have to meditate. However, we can all agree that a few hints at the right time and in the right words can make a great deal of difference. And I'll also mention that if you don't like to meditate, this probably isn't going to be very helpful for you. It's not tips to convince you to do it. It's just some notes and some thoughts to help you if you're already interested and attracted to doing it and do it already. Some people just aren't cut out for meditation, don't enjoy it, or don't feel drawn to it, and that's fine. I find it particularly soothing, comforting, and helps me grow in a felt sense of presence with God. The portion I'm going to read is from the very back of the book. I will also mention that Merton is very heavy with his use of male pronouns for God and for people in general, and where I can remember to do it, I will neutralize the pronouns so that they appeal to everyone. This section is called Temperament and Mental Prayer on page 103. He writes, The precise way in which each individual makes their meditation will depend in large measure on their temperament and natural gifts. An intellectual and analytic mind will break down a text into its component parts and follow the thought step by step, pausing in deep reflection upon each new idea in order to examine it from different points of view and draw forth all its hidden implications, both speculative and practical. But analysis must not go too far. The mind must ascend by reasoning to the threshold of intuition. Meditation enters into its full swing for an intellectual when the person's mind can grasp the whole content of the subject in one deep, and penetrating gaze. When the person in this intuition, letting the truth sink in, and it becomes a part of themselves. Above all intuition, setting the intelligence temporarily at rest, should leave the free will to adapt itself to the practical consequences of the truth thus seen, and to direct our whole life in accordance with it. Such minds as these, which are a minority, can fruitfully meditate on an article of the Summa Theologica, as an aside, that is, by Thomas Aquinas, or any other theological text. But even they cannot always be contented with an intellectual approach to supernatural things. For a theologian in practice, mental prayer should become a kind of refuge from their speculative study, an oasis of affectivity to which they can retire to rest 
after their intellectual labor. In any case, the prayer of love is always higher than mere mental considerations. All mental prayer, whatever may be its beginnings, must terminate in love. Other less speculative minds approach the truth with a more immediate intuition, apprehending it in its wholeness, as beauty rather than as truth. The radiance that pours forth from a spiritual intuition of the real is a pure light that captivates the whole soul. Sensible beauty loses its grip on the mind that finds itself momentarily under the spell of that splendor veritatis, the radiance of truth, the, quote, beauty ever ancient and ever new, unquote, which finally brought peace to the soul of St. Augustine. The majority of people need to practice a way of meditation that is more firmly rooted in the senses. For these, concentration depends on a mental picture, and an important element in their mental prayer will be the exercise which St. Ignatius Loyola calls, quote, application of the senses. In other words, they must take a concrete religious subject, a scene from the Gospels, and try to make all its sensible elements vividly real to their imagination. This imaginative realization of a religious subject has a very definite practical purpose. It is supposed to pave the way for living spiritual contact with God. Meditating on the Gospels, we place ourselves as far as we can in the presence of Jesus. We arouse in our hearts the dispositions that we would hope to have if we were speaking to Jesus or listening to his words. We act interiorly, just as if we were talking with our divine Redeemer. What Jesus said 20 centuries ago is also addressed to us now. He may not be physically present to me here and now as a man, but he is present as God. His divinity, which is the center and source of my own being, is also the very being of his humanity. Consequently, the Christ who lives and speaks in the gospel is much more truly present to me than the persons around me with whom I speak and deal in my daily life. It is therefore by no means a mere play of fancy to place ourselves in the presence of Christ in a scene from the New Testament. However, it must be remembered, above all, that the function of this technical device is to incite us to act of the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, which are the principles of Christ's supernatural presence in our souls. The true end of Christian meditation is therefore practically the same as the end of liturgical prayer and the reception of the sacraments, a deeper union by grace and charity with the incarnate word who is the only mediator between God and people, Jesus Christ. The peculiar value of mental prayer, however, is that it is completely personal and favors a spiritual development along the lines dictated by our own particular needs. The interior life demands of us a heroic struggle to practice virtue and to detach ourselves 
from inordinate love of temporal created things. We cannot possibly bring our souls to renounce our most powerful natural desires unless we somehow have a real and conscious appreciation of our contact with something better. The love of God remains a cold and abstract thing unless we can bring ourselves to realize its deeply intimate and personal character. We can never hope on earth to achieve anything like a clear realization of what it means to be loved by the three divine persons in one divine nature. But it is very easy to appreciate the love of God when we see it concretized in the human love of Jesus Christ for us. This is the best and most logical foundation for a life of faith, and therefore this, above all, should be the primary object of meditation. And now I will read a short bit of the summary and conclusion of this book. It's on page 107. He writes, Meditation is spiritual work, sometimes difficult work, but it is a work of love and of desire. It is not something that can be practiced without effort, at least in the beginning. And the sincerity, humility, and perseverance of our efforts will be proportionate to our desire. This desire, in turn, is a gift of grace. Anyone who imagines they can simply begin meditating without praying for the desire and the grace to do so will soon give up. But the desire to meditate and the grace to begin meditating should be taken as the implicit promise of further graces. In meditation, as in anything else in the Christian life, everything depends on our correspondence with the grace of the Holy Spirit. Meditation is almost all contained in this one idea, the idea of awakening to our interior self and attuning ourselves inwardly to the Holy Spirit, so that we will be able to respond to the Spirit's grace. In mental prayer over the years, we must allow our interior perceptivity to be refined and purified. We must attune ourselves to the unexpected movements of grace, which do not fit our own preconceived ideas of the spiritual life at all, and which in no way flatter our own ambitious aspirations. I'm going to draw it to a close there, even though there are two more paragraphs to go. Perhaps if you're interested, you can pick up this tiny book, Spiritual Direction and Meditation by Thomas Merton. I will leave a book link at sparkmymuse.com for this episode, and in the show notes at patreon.com sparkmymuse. It is very helpful if you contribute a dollar to see all the companion pieces at patreon.com forward slash sparkmymuse because that helps me produce the program and keep the website running. For that dollar, you unlock hundreds of episode companion pieces. And of course, any contributions over a dollar are wildly appreciated as well. I thank you for listening and sharing the program. And I invite you to go back a few shows back, a few months back, or a few years back and listen to more programs that I've put out. Spark My Muse began in 2015. If you'd like to reach out, I'm most available on Twitter at Lisa Delay or on Twitter at Spark My Muse. I enjoy hearing your thoughts about the program and discussing the topics there. You can also write me a letter. And sometimes writing a letter is a wonderful spiritual practice in and of itself because it allows us to slow down, slow our thoughts down to our speed of writing. If you'd like to send me a message, you can do that at Lisa Delay, P.O. Box 146, 
Cressona PA, C-R-E-S-S-O-N-A, with the zip code of 17929. I would love to hear from you, and I am happy to reply as time allows. Until next time, may you be blessed and filled with a sense of God's presence.